Welcome to the Monsters Flesh podcast, where we explore the evolution and role of women in horror, as well as familiar tropes of the genre through a feminist lens. There will be spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't seen the film yet and don't want us to ruin it for you, pause this podcast and come back when you're ready for a deep dive into it. Hi, I'm Clelia, one of your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Meg, the second host of the podcast. In this series, we are turning our attention to the representation of film monster in horror cinema, and in each episode, we dissect one film we feel fits the bill particularly well. And today, our film is Hatching. Meg, would you like to give us a little intro for that film? Oh, yes. Okay. So, Hatching from 2022 is a psychological body horror from Danish director Hannah Bergholm. It centres on Tina, a young gymnast who is desperately trying to please her mother, who runs a mommy blog presenting her perfect family life. And one day, Tina finds a mysterious egg and takes it home, nurturing it in the belly of one of her teddy bears. Eventually, the egg hatches, and from its speckled shell emerges a grotesquely human-bird hybrid creature that she names Ali. Tina keeps Ali hidden, but soon learns that feeding your young can be a bloodthirsty, dangerous business. Mm. (laughs) Oh, that was good! I immediately want to go and rewatch it just from that, from that, uh, that intro. <laughs> Love it. Um, so I'm really glad you picked this, Meg, because uh, I think it's one of these films that I could have, it could have so easily passed me by. Mm. Um, I think, you know, because of the sheer nature of theatrical releases these days, there's some gems like this that yeah. just completely go under the radar for audiences. Um, and that would have probably be one of them for me. So, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Salah? How did you come across that film, actually? Um, I saw it. I think someone did a review of it for Ghoul's Mag. Um, I can't remember who. Again, unreliable narrator. Um, but I'm sure you can find it on Ghoul's website. And I saw the still of her with the giant egg. Um, and I thought, this looks incredible. Whatever is happening here, I want to see. <laughs> Um, and then I saw that it were on um, BFI player, actually, and we were like looking around for something to watch. And I was like, Hatching, Hatching's on here, I want to watch it. Um, and I was really <laughs> glad that I did, because, I mean, it ticks a lot of my boxes. So, you know, it's it's um, a sort of foreign language film, which I really like. I like to see different perspectives, but it's got that sort of fairy tale element and, you know, these like complex relationships between mothers and daughters and all that sort mm-hmm. of sticky stuff that I think is um, so rife for like horror uh, exploration. <laughs> so yeah, I was really glad that we got to do it. 
Yeah, no, that was that was a really good shout. And I think your message to me said, um, oh, I'm really into my doppelganger horrors at the moment. So yeah. <laughs> if you want to watch this one, let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so, you know, really, really, really good shout. I lo- um, yeah, I loved it. And it's, got, it's actually made me, um, I mean, in terms of recommendations, it made me think of loads of films. So we'll talk about that a bit later. Yeah. Um, I'm going, uh, if that's okay with you, I'm going to, I wanted to start by giving a little bit of context around the production of the film. Um because uh, so before we delve into the themes uh because the story of this film and it is the director is really really cool i think mm. um so as you mentioned it's uh, coming all the way from finland um and this is a horror infused fairy tale directed by a uh, finnish director hanna bergholm and is written by uh ilia rotsi so originally the story was about a boy that hatches a doppelganger out of an egg, uh, but Hannah wanted to change the character to a pre-pubescent, uh, pre- um, prepubescent girl, sorry, as she missed seeing stories of women on screen. So mm. already from the get-go, I'm like, yeah, love that, love yes. that, love that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I heard in an interview that she felt it had to be a horror film because he reflects the most monstrous relationship out of them all mm. and that of a daughter with her mother mm-hmm. and specifically about a mother who loves her daughter very much conditionally mm. um, and to her that's a true horror story yeah, man. Um, which made me think well Hannah let me let me introduce you to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm being that mean because my mom will not listen to this so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> so um, and, and I absolutely loved it and I and I, I can see where she's coming from with this but uh, so obviously we're gonna we're gonna talk a bit more about this but hatching eight score is an allegory about growing up bad parenting social media obsession um and like I said we will be deep diving into all this in a bit but many critics um that I lots of pieces that I read about the film they've praised the film for its use of symbolism worthy of a dark fairy tale mm. um and I think that's largely due to the fact that the director's work is very much influenced by the the look and feel of, of, of fairy tales. I don't know what you think of this. Um, although Hatching is her first feature, um, in 2018, Hannah Bergham wrote, produced and directed the short film Puppet Master, which is about a lonely woman who allows a man to transform her into a puppet. Oh. Um, the film is a fantasy drama that combines actors and puppets in a poetic story about longing for love, living in an objectifying relationship and clinging to another person. So all the themes that we love to discuss on this, on this <laughs> podcast. Yes. <laughs> I don't yes. know if you've seen. I don't know if you've seen uh, if if you've seen the film. It's not super easy to find online, um, but uh, and obviously yeah, this is a quite a public forum, so I won't tell you how I managed to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say that like, if you can get your hands on it, then it's very much um, it's very uh, much worth a watch, um, and especially because it gives a, a bit of context to the aesthetics of um, of hatching the film we're talking about tonight, um, and particularly to that of the bird creature. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts on uh, yeah. on that creature Megan yeah well yeah but I mean that is it's so interesting and obviously I mean such a talent for this to be a first feature and it to be so wonderful and so well done yeah you know but that shot sounds really good as well it sounds really really yeah, interesting absolutely and I was quite surprised actually looking into her history that this was her first feature film because mm. um, although, I mean, Hatching is, I, I mean, I, I loved it, but I can see that, you know, like in the, 
in the critic criticisms that I that I uh, read about the film, then some people find it, you know, maybe not as accomplished as it could be. But considering it is a first feature, I think it's mind blowing, right? I, well, yeah, and, and, and I, the aesthetics of the film is just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is a podcast, so people can't see my look of utter disgust. So I will verbalize it <laughs> instead. But like, yeah, your face instantly I, I just, went like, oh. Yeah, I feel like what does that even mean? It's not as accomplished. I find criticism like that just so bizarre mm-hmm. because. How do you know how different? What do you mean? What does that mean? Because it, this is what yeah. it is. There's no, there's not like two versions, and you you picking your favorite. This is the only version <laughs> that exists. So I don't understand this sort of criticism. Um, and I also think when you look at like how it shot the the creative choices around like the bird creature, you know, and all them things, and and the way that like the tension builds and. You know, the direction of particularly um, the, you know, the character playing Tina, who was young, you know, she's like mm-hmm. 12, 13, and she gives this really masterful performance, you know, and, and is an absolutely wonderful actor, but obviously the director has got to encourage that performance. So I think that's, I'll be blunt, I think that's bullshit criticism from jealous people. <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. I mean, I, I, I agree, especially with your point of, you know, when people make... Uh, comments like this, you know, you think, well, what do you have to compare it to? There isn't, like, mm. as if there is, there are two, you know, two versions of the film. And actually, you know, given, you know, if you listen to the to the director's, you know, some interview that she's given, I feel like she's actually very much realised her vision for the film. Yeah. So yeah, fuck off, everyone. Yeah, this fuck is, off. Uh, this is her vision. Yeah. Where's your <laughs> film? Where's your film that you've made? Where's your first feature? Go, Shove it. Go off and make your own film. Yeah. Don't be criticising. <laughs> Shove it. <laughs> so what really got me what really got me actually is um, that, that that look of the creature um, mm. and uh, I mean obviously we did say at the start this is going to be a spoilerific from the start so uh, there's no point hiding <laughs> yeah hiding anything about it um, and it's I mean it's so slimy right Ugh, like the first yeah. time we see we see that creature on screen it's like oh my god like it yeah. really yeah just the look of it really really got me but um, again in that interview so Hannah explained um she worked with uh, two Finnish concept artists and she kind of told them, you know, what she wanted um, and basically what she wanted the creature to represent was the complete opposite of what the mother wants her daughter to be. Mm. So this perfect gymnast and proper little girl. So the creature is uh, deformed, it's slimy, mm. it's disgusting. Um, and in fact, the director describes it as um, it's kind of a smelly teenager. <laughs> it's raging to its parent, <laughs> but still wants to be loved. And I was like, that's perfect because that's exactly what you, that's exactly the, you know, the, the idea that you get seeing that seeing that creature what do you think about that i totally agree actually i think um the fact that again another thing i really love about it and i know i've talked about this before and will till i'm blowing face is that i really love practical effects and you know the use of practical effects and you know um puppets like the first sort of iteration apparently um was like a puppet and then after that they use actors but with prosthetics and Mm-hmm. it's so wonderfully done and rich visually rich like you say you can see that it's slimy and and gross but like the the texture like the feathers because it does just look like a bird we've all seen like birds uh-huh. come out of eggs haven't we and stuff and and it does look like that but yeah it makes me think about um the director of uh like the lower saying about the slime you know, a slimy mermaid. Yes. And like the, <laughs> you're linking young women and slime, this seems to be a very co- common theme. <laughs> very, a common thing, yeah. yeah. But, but something yeah. that we can relate to as well. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is a very grotesque 
like creature, mm-hmm. but still wants to be loved. And, you know, Tina loves it, does care for it and, and seems to feel very deeply for it. And, um, and I know we'll sort of get into it a little bit more. I've got some uh, thoughts about the symbolism of that relationship. You'll be surprised mm-hmm. to hear. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think to to do such a visually like arresting, gross thing from the off and be like, look at this horrible thing, <laughs> like confronting mm-hmm. the viewer with it. And then what do you think? How do you feel about this thing? Because it's like, I suppose it looks gross. Sorry, Ali, we should say Ali looks gross. But also is like mewling and like pathetic and looks vulnerable and, and it's all Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like that um uncanny, I suppose uncanny valley sort of feeling. Cause it's like this thing that looks a little bit like what you've seen before, but is so totally mm-hmm. alien. And so you have this or I did anyway, this sort of weird reaction to it, but then you quickly sort of become quite concerned about it and think, Oh god, I hope no one finds it. <laughs> I hope that she, mm-hmm, exactly. you know. So it is. It's really well done. Again, suck it, nerds who criticised it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. try making You're people taking love, offense to you this. Know, <laughs> you, try, you try making people fall in love with a gross, oily bird. I- <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly what happens there. I think, you know, what the, the the initial response to seeing the creature is like, oh my god, it's it's so disgusting and it does all sorts of disgusting things. Um but actually you do you do care for it and you know it's that vulnerability vulnerability that you talked about. And I think that definitely couldn't have been achieved by VFX. So you mm. very much had to be um an animatronics, um a puppet. And um I think, you know, i I'm thinking in terms even of the production to for the actors to be able to, um, uh, you know, to, to be on, mm. you know, on set with this creature must have been very, um, yeah, it must have been a very arresting experience. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so I think that's, um, so that's, that, that's fantastic uh, that they've managed to do that. And um, in fact, they, so the, the person who did the the puppet is uh, the designer Gustav Hogan, mm. um, who has uh, his studio Biomimic in London, and is behind some of the most incredible animatronics work in in film. Uh, you know, if you think the the Star Wars franchise, Jurassic World, Prometheus, Tim Burton's movies, etc. You name it, he's done it. Um, so, and it's it's very much uh, him was responsible for the look and feel of that mm. extraordinary bio creature. Yeah. Um, so this alone, if you haven't watched the film um, by now, at this point of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> you should stop it and go and watch it. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> we'll watch it. <laughs> um, but shall well, shall we talk about um, the rather, uh, I suppose, culturally relevant issue of the psycho- absolute psychosis of the mommy blogger? You know, the, the absolute <laughs> inherent madness of the lifestyle blogger. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Influencer mum, who needs them? (laughs) Or in fact, one um, shout out to my friend Penny who introduced me to uh, to this term. Um, She she I think the mum in Hatching is very much an almond mum. So I don't know if if you've come across this before. Um, And so it's a term that I'm sure you can guess is rooted in diet culture um, and is gone viral to thanks to some resurfaced clips of uh, I think early seasons of Real House wives of Beverly Hills and it refers to uh, Yolanda Haddad um, where she's talking to her then teenage now supermo- supermodel daughter Gigi um, in one of the clips Gigi complains that she's feeling weak because she hasn't eaten any food all day and her mum responds with diet culture inspired advice she says have a couple of almonds and chew them really well 
And honestly, that's not even that's not even the most shocking comment that she makes or toxic toxic advice that she gives her daughter. But that's kind of beside the point. And I think that terms on mum really encapsulates what we you know what we're dealing with here with mm. um, the mother, who mm. is in fact doesn't even have a name. She's mother, right? She's in the mother, film. Yeah. She doesn't, yeah, she's just mother. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that is you know she's very. Um, She's curating. God, I hate the word that mm-hmm. people just say about everything. I saw a thing the other day about curating an earring stack. Well, like it's just wearing earrings. <laughs> this is absolutely insane. <laughs> this word is just being yeah. It's a, it's a term that's gone out of <laughs> hand, right? <laughs> Everybody is, is trying to curate their life, and you're like, isn't curating just for art and exhibition? <laughs> Let's yeah, leave it bizarre. there. <laughs> but she she's very carefully sort of manipulating and curating this this picture of a perfect life and you know she um and i always think there's well it's not just me that thinks it but there's there's a massive like sinister undertone to this as well that she mm-hmm. is putting her young children and we assume she's been doing it for quite a while because kids are very used to uh, filming them doing things on internet and it's like you, you put in your children out there onto you know mm-hmm. the internet which is filled with not the most wholesome of people um and you know, I know there's been a lot of backlash since this sort of influencer thing grew has grown in popularity with Instagram about kids not being able to consent. And I did, I did think about that a lot when watching it. Actually, that you know, like Tina is she, so she's trying to be a gymnast. Does she really want to be a gymnast? We're never really sure. But her mum wants her to be a gymnast, but only if she's the best gymnast. Otherwise, there's like no point mm-hmm. in doing it. No point in doing it, yeah. But she's like filming her in practices and she's making a cartwheel and, you know, it's it's really perverse, I think. there's it's And I, I do think that that is really expertly sort of emphasised without it being made explicit, but there is a perversity in their relationship that, that I think is, um, is partly to do with this influencer sort of role. But I think also it's partly to do with the, there's no boundaries. Like she, a mum just mm-hmm. talks to her about things and treats her like she's a friend. And she, you know, she, she talks to, I mean, she's a horrible, a horrible character. There's no, <laughs> you know, there's no way around it. Um, yeah, it's all for that. It's that, it's that facade of the, of the uh, family's you know picture perfect uh, image. And, um, and I think that's quite well reflected with the, uh, I mean the you know the image of the of the egg growing and um, uh, you know really I mean the the mum's self esteem in the end is as fragile of that eggshell right so it's it's yeah. uh, she's very she's putting on that that front but actually as you know the you know as the slightest the slightest crack you can mm. see appearing all these all these issues with uh, the way she lives her life the way she thinks of others and you know that so that's you know that everything she's projecting onto Tina is everything that she can't be herself mm, absolutely and i think that idea about projection is central like in this film and and i think that she is sort of um well she is projecting that idea what she what she wasn't i mean i've said this before i said this on something else i would i can't remember what it were i was talking about but um there's that that saying that like mothers represent all you might come to be and for mothers, daughters mm-hmm. represent all that you'll never be and that tension in that relationship. And so she seems to be very much like pushing Tina towards this, you know, this goal, very difficult goal to be, you know, 
an Olympic gymnast. It's not, it's not like a a small, Mm -hmm. you know, readily achievable thing. But like, as you've said, like projecting onto her these hopes and these uh, dreams and, and not giving her the space to, to find her own way. So there's a scene towards the end of the film um, where um, Tina's mother has become aware of Ali's existence and uh, mother and daughter set off to hunt Ali down and, and to sort of do away with her. Um, and Tina says in this really like heartbreaking way, she's like, but I hatched it. I hatched it. You know, it's like I, my ch- I birthed this. Mm-hmm, it, this is mm-hmm. my child. And you see that... You see that throughout in that she uh, she wants to protect Ali in this way that she's never been protected. And I think in that way, then yeah. Ali becomes this vehicle for Tina's trauma, much like Tina is a vehicle for her mum's trauma. And I think it makes a really interesting sort of point about that idea about intergenerational trauma and about how your parents pass yeah. their shit on to you. And then if you don't break that cycle, you pass that shit on you again. And that's just sort of what happens. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I do think that that relationship is painted as a very unhealthy one. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as you've said, and there's a, there's sort of, um, a relationship between Tina's mom and is it, I think it's called terror. So she's having an affair with this guy and when he rejects her, as you've said, that's when you see this, this splintering of this facade and she oh, immediately, God, yeah. oh God, yeah. And she immediately turns to just rage. This rage comes out of her and you can see how mm. like tightly wound she is. And I think throughout you see how they're all so tight, like just so unhappy. Everybody's unhappy. And I mean, dad's just a spineless mm-hmm. creep. <laughs> Probably not yeah. a creep. creep. They're, just a, they're just all a receptacle for her. Mm. Uh, you know, they're just containing, you know, all the, the family unit actually is that is that eggshell around, you mm. know, around the mum, right? Yeah. They're, they're all containing her frustration and her rage. And as you say, once she gets rejected, once she doesn't get what she wants, mm. then that's when it all fractures and, and you know, and it's, all, you know, just that, that rage is coming out and that very much conditional love at work um, mm. is, you know, is, is on full display and it's really heartbreaking. And yeah, the, and sorry, and you, you were just talking about the dad, and yeah, he's just such a, ah, oh, such a spineless. Ugh. Oh, it's just such, a, <laughs> it's just such a worm. He's <laughs> a worm. It. That's what he is. He's a worm. Worm for the bird. Yeah. <laughs> he is a worm for the bird. He is. And, you know, like he's desperately trying to keep her happy, even when she's, you know, mm. having affairs and she's abusing the children, and he's not getting involved. He's very careful to not be involved, and you know, the brother's jealous because he don't get the same attention and Tina is desperately trying to keep this this I'm relationship happy. like a, just to keep her happy uh, you know mm-hmm. and it it reminds me in a way of like uh, mommy dearest that sort of oh, ri- yeah. rigidity and um you know the this the impossibly high standards um and and that how that translates into this these like outbursts of rage um and and how you know like what would that feel like i mean it is a very i think what's interesting about it as well is it presents child abuse 
which it is. I mean, you know, in a in mm-hmm. a very middle class way, and I do think them representations are important because what we normally see is, you know, it's very class. People are very quick to demonize yep. working class parents. Um, but you know, getting your daughter to practice until her hands bleed because she, you know, she weren't perfect is is abuse the same way as if you'd slapped her. You know, it's it's exactly the same. And I think that element of it is important to be showing that that this is the consequence of this like influencer um life, this idea that everything's gotta be perfect, and if it's not perfect, you'll be punished. You know, oh I went deep there, didn't I? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's a that's a really interesting point. Actually, as you were saying it, I was just I was um, I, I was wondering if if um, if people would be able to uh, tease that out of the themes of the film. You know that I mean I'm not saying you know people wouldn't be able to, to pick out on the child abuse aspect of the film, but more that you know that classist um, mm. you know a- aspect really of, of you know of that depiction of child abuse and of people you know. Um, confusing uh ambition for your children mm. with you know with 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 abuse and with trauma and i mean actually the end the ending of the film really suggests that you know in the end you know tinyard becomes you know all rage and trauma rather mm. than you know she's is is that complete loss of innocence and who the person she could have developed to be mm. in a nurturing loving environment versus you know that ultra ambitious conditional love you know pushing mm. uh you know uh, the attitude of her mother mm. so um so oh, yeah so, i think yeah. that's a really interesting point to make that, that, that you've made that oh thank you and I, you know i'll always bring it back to class whenever i can shoe on it in. <laughs> eat the rich <laughs> eat the rich class and folklore this is what we are about <laughs> and well, actually talking about folklore i thought mm-hmm. um uh, should we talk about the symbolism of the you know because you know the, the 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 bird creature is the, mm. is the main event in the film but actually birds are kind of you know happening or you know they, they are you know birds image, imagery all over the film basically mm. so i was wondering what you what what you made of that what you can tell us about it yeah well it's it's really interesting i think um we know that birds have got a very long sort of symbolism in folklore um and things like it being a crow that flies into the house uh, mm-hmm. and when it happened actually i were watching it with um my partner and i went oh i'm gonna do that and he went oh god here we go like <laughs> <laughs> like if a crow flew in our house we'd have to move you know that that sort of thing um but i was like oh that's bad news and then obviously you know the crow could have survived but mommy dearest just breaks its neck which I mean, mm-hmm. who would who would kill a crow? I mean, you've obviously got no sense if that you know. Um, but it's interesting because crows and and sort of ravens and things are seen as like the me- like messengers quite often are like um, you know carried spirits to to the other mm-hmm. the other side. If anyone's ever seen the absolutely incredible film The Crow, which obviously the crow, why, <laughs> why not? If not, um, you know, that's... if not exactly why not? What have you been doing with your life? <laughs> Come what on. were you doing with your teenage Even if years? Just for a little bit of eye candy. Come on. <laughs> if you didn't spend your teenage years watching Eric Draven in leather pants Absolutely. jumping off roofs, what were you doing? Awakening. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, obviously, the crow is seen as the 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 sort of conduit to uh, transport spirits from one side to the other, and I think that ties in really well with the old um, sort of the doppelganger, which we've not really touched on, um, but. 
that is the sort of culmination of the the bird creature is that it slowly but surely starts to shed you know its feathers and it and look more human and its beak and eventually turns into Tina and i think that doppelganger is so um evocative actually and i know we've we've sort of got other films about it cuz i'm obsessed with doppelgangers so. <laughs> <laughs> um but i did do a little bit of a folklore dive uh shock horror once again um <laughs> <laughs> let's hear it well it's it's quite interesting um because there's even sort of discussion about what doppelganger means i mean i've got it as it means like double walker um but there's other in german which is the, the sort of origin of the word but there's other interpretations of it but it's essentially a doppelganger is a biologically unrelated double of a person. So it's not like an identical twin. It's someone who, uh, a person who is totally unrelated to that individual and absolutely terrifying as a concept, I think. Um, and they're, they're again, much like sort of crows and ravens, they're seen as this sort of harbinger of bad luck or referred to as like an evil twin, the dark half, that sort of thing. And they're often portrayed as a paranormal phenomenon, but it is a relatively recent term. Well, I say relatively. It's so funny when you talk about like history. I saw it described as a relatively recent term because in 1787, they weren't using it. And we're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. It's all relative when it comes to history, it's as you say. It's all relative. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like relatively recent. So in uh, 1787, the Provincial Glossary, written by Francis Gross, referred instead to a fetch, which is defined as the apparition of a living person, which I thought was interesting. Um, and, and you do see this, this sort of duality duality oh, no pun intended um between the idea of a doppelganger as being like a spirit of a person and being quite paranormal in that way or it being like a totally separate entity um altogether but the idea of alter egos or like double spirits has been really widely represented in folklore myths and even religious concepts and traditions in cultures throughout you know the world and throughout history um so i've just i've got an example a couple of examples so in ancient egyptian mythology um they were referred to as a ka or a ba there's two ways to um pronounce it but i'll stick to ka i think um and it's a spirit double so it's someone who has the same memories and feelings as the person to whom that counterpart belongs so it's like the same person but sort of like copied i suppose copy pasted um but there's also a, a hopi legend from um, america that refers to dualistic twins um so they would be like the children of the sun and the children of the water um and also this duality of the upper world and the underworld. So anything that's happening to, in the upper world is also happening in the underworld. And this may or may not, uh, slight teaser linked to one of my film recommendations, um, but this idea <laughs> that <laughs> this idea that what is happening above is also happening below. Um, in terms of famous encounters with doppelgangers, apparently Abraham Lincoln saw his double in a mirror, which seems doubly bad luck to me. To see your own <laughs> doppelganger in a mirror. <laughs> I'm really fucking stupid. I mean, it, it, it could only be made worse if his doppelganger also had a crow on his shoulder. Um, <laughs> but he, um, he, so he saw his own double, but said that it, it was, it were like much paler. Um, and his wife said it were a bad omen that he wouldn't live through, uh, he'd live through his first term in office, but not his second. And I believe that were right because obviously we know he was assassinated. 
Um, so the, in that respect, the doppelganger was a bad omen. Um, and also Percy Shelley, um, he saw his own doppelganger. Uh, and again, I mean, he had a sort of a nasty end. He drowned. So perhaps there's something to this idea. So not a great, uh, not a great omen usually. Yeah, to, see, uh... <laughs> to see your own doppelganger. <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting because it also links, and I think there's an interesting link in this film in particular with the idea of like changelings, who obviously are babies mm. left by the fae in plates who who take a human child and leave one of their own. And we see that in any culture that has concepts of fairies and fairy folk and fae. Um, and I think, you know, with the ending of the film, there is that idea that, Ali is a bit of a changeling for Tina in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a modern phenomenon uh, called twin strangers. So this tends to be what how people refer to doppelgangers now when they're not trying to portray this sort of very gothic, um, negative bad omen. Um, and so this is where people have found their own doppelgangers, like on social media and things like that. Uh, and you can actually see people's stories at twinstrangers.net. So you see all these videos of people who've met their doppelganger uh, who lives in like a totally different country and they're totally unrelated. Um, but it, it is explored a bit as a, as a sort of phenomenon because apparently these people do share like really similar genetic um, information, but they're not like directly related. So it's a really weird phenomenon it is um, yeah so that made was, a note of that yeah well yeah so i mean that was my little doppelganger coming for you yeah well you can actually on this you can actually put your picture in and it'll search through social media and find your doppelgangers oh that's creepy i don't want to know i don't want to know if there's somebody out there who looks like me I, it, no. it would really freak me out so but people can if they want twinstrangers.net Mm-hmm, <laughs> if it's a scam mm-hmm. website, we're not judging. We're just putting the information out there. You know, I don't know if it's a scam website. Don't put your credit card in. I'm just <laughs> just passing on. <laughs> just a messenger here. Um, but yeah, and I think that that doppelganger element in this film is so interesting. Um, I mean, as we've said about you know Ali being this sort of vehicle for for Tina's trauma, but I think then what you see this rela- these relationships are all so like. Sort of symbiotic in a way, and like now Ali becomes this embodiment of all of Tina's rage. She is like mm-hmm. the the all this stuff that she's suppressed, and you know she's squashed down all these negative feelings. And every time she's wanted to tell her mum to fuck off, I don't want to be on your stupid channel, or I don't want to do gymnastics. Like a, you know, yeah, it's like a physical representation of yeah. Um, yeah, of her, of her trauma and frustration and anger, and you know the way that he can um, manifest physically in in uh, you know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm talking about my own experience, but uh, <laughs> I know that all sorts of weird things happen to my body when I, you know, when I don't. Um, yeah, when I'm really like, really frustrated or angry yeah. for a long period of time. If you've been in a really, you know, if you've been in a toxic relationship or something, mm. you'll have noticed some like weird stuff happening to your body. And in this case, I feel like it's really you know that external um, mm. representation of this. So yeah, it's I, kind of yeah. in a beautiful, beautiful, horrible way. It is, and I think it's interesting because it does a similar thing to what, I mean, I I suppose what we talked about a bit in like Ginger Snaps in how all her frustration comes out, but it's under her control, whereas this feels very much like all that feeling that she's squashed and she's like, it's like seeping out, she can't stop it, and then it's become physical, but independent from her. So she, you know, I mean, we see through the film that they are very... You know, they're obviously like physically linked and we see that when 
Ali is going to be violent, that Tini sort of has seizures, and it's a bit like this parasitic twin sort of dynamic. Yeah, I also find it really touching that she she calls her Ali because of it's linked to that lullaby, right, that her yeah. mom and, and her sing at some point in the film, and he refers to uh, a baby bird being abend- aband- abandoned or yeah. a child being abandoned, rather. Yeah. Um, so you know, again, like that, you know, uh, you know, that rounds up the the, the whole theme really, you know, uh, really well of you know what it represents for. Her. And in terms of, um, yeah, in terms, you know, that the connection you were making with, with Ginger's now, I think is really interesting. But obviously, in, in this film, we very much talk about a pre, pre pubescent girl. Yeah. So, you know, you just, you know, at an age where you literally all those changes are happening, but you genuinely have no idea how to deal with, you, you don't know what those emotions are, mm. n- where to put them, and what to do with them. So, mm. I think that was a very clever. Um, kind of a way from you know from the, the screenwriter and the director to you know to uh, to find the perfect imagery for this. Absolutely, yeah, and I and I think when you see, I mean, obviously, she, what Ali is doing, the sort of it, it does seem to be. What's interesting about it is it it's this like externalization or all. A rage, but it's directed at all the time the wrong people. Like it never turns on a mum, and I think for you know the audience that probably would have been much more satisfying <laughs> if she'd you know Way just more. turned on a mum. But it's it's the very like I think it links again to that idea about her being prepubescent, and it's very it's very childlike. Mm-hmm. So she's jealous, so she's going to get rid of that jealous the, the thing. Yeah, and you know. exactly. And you said it's not, it's not turning against her mum. Instead, it's turning against the the people that uh, could be a threat yeah. that could be standing between her mum and her, mm-hmm. right? So like the 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 neighbour who's better than her at gym uh, gymnastic, mm-hmm. the baby that might you know that threatened to take her place in the family unit, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, it's 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 so tragic and it's so sad. Yeah, but it's it's also uh, you know a, a perfect. Um, yeah, a perfect representation of um, you know of these of these toxic relationships. Um, I think what's interesting about it as well is that yeah, like uh, you know, as you've said that she she it's like she's trying to get rid of all the competition, and then if she can be perfect then you know she'll she'll have all the mum's love and Ali's mm-hmm. like trying to give that to her but I do think you know that idea that when she's like dreaming she can see or even when she's not dreaming as film progresses as Ali sort of grows stronger and, and more um more in- autonomous she is she sees what she's going to do so they have got that link and she can see like when she's going to um hurt that baby and i was watching that like oh god no it Attack. can't go this far <laughs> surely not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but she so it's like ali's trying to give her what she wants and again that dynamic being repeated so ali's trying to get rid of all these people that are making tinia feel jealous or feel threatened and trying to give her what she thinks she wants but it's not what she actually wants her to do and that that as she's trying to sort of show her that that's not right, you can see that sort of push pull, like trying to like you can't be just going around, you know, like clobbering people in woods and cutting babies <laughs> up with axes, like it's not. <laughs> but to what goal? I think that's the thing. It is that very childlike idea of there's no end point. Like there's no, she's yeah. just going along and doing it. Like there's no plan of oh well, what am I going to do with this bird under my bed? 
No, exactly. But she's willing to nurture mm. um, that that you know that that weird bird that's slowly turning into her. Yeah. Um, and that kind of brings us actually really nicely to that. You know, one of the central horror of the film is you know obviously the horror of coming of age. Mm. Um, and you know, just talked about it, but you know, Tina. Um, you know, battling her own um, demons of adolescence that um, uh, that Ali kind of represents, um, and yeah, I was just kind of wondering how you, you know, how you thought the you know the film navigated this, even in terms of the body horror elements of the film. Um, you know, we talked about you know, the, the the slimy creature mm. and how you know we've seen that in other films that we've talked about, and that's very much um, linked <laughs> to um, you know to, to female um, uh, growing bodies and sexuality. Mm. And uh, you know, I, w- I was wondering, you know, what what you thought of you know the way it was represented in this film. I think it's... You know, especially... Sorry. No, 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 go on. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm terrible. I'm like, (laughs) let you speak. No, no, hang on. Let me... (laughs) I'm just thinking it particularly... Sorry, I was just asking this because particularly the scene that I had in mind was that um, when her father comes in her bedroom and notices the blood stain on her sheets and, you know, the, the, the... like the way that he reacts is just so, again, you know, in terms of that repression and frustration that we see throughout the film, I think that kind of, you know, that, that, that little moment encapsulates perfectly all the reasons, you know, that we think that Tinia has every right to birth that terif- you know, terrifying creature. Mm. Well, yeah, and I, the thing that I thought with that when I was watching it is when he's like, oh, you know, oh, you'll be a woman or whatever, I thought, why is it, what? this is how you know this is a man who's had no, like, interaction really with women's bodies because why would it be on top of bed sheet why would it be up there if that's what had happened you fool where do you think women bleed from on the periods like out of their eyebrows like where do you think it's coming from it's ridiculous so yeah i did think this is a man who has not prepared himself to be the parent of a teenage girl that's what we've mm-hmm, got here mm-hmm. um and and yeah i think yeah as ali sort of represents I think I I do agree we are we everything you've said about her representing this change um and I but I also think that she represents a fear of that again which I suppose is linked to to the idea about you know growing and developing and it it's the fear of being bad quote unquote it's the fear mm-hmm. of rage it's the fear of these negative emotions and these negative like negative feelings and a fear of violence of of taking what you want mm. of not taking shit but well, it doesn't it doesn't fit yeah. with uh, it doesn't fit with the uh, with the image of femininity that her mother is yeah. being is imposing on her so why that's probably why she's so afraid of it right yeah and that's the thing and Ali's you know she's grubbing about in muck and she's like you know jumping through windows and she's very physical um mm-hmm. and physically very as we've said you know slimy at first and then um, less slimy but covered in blood a lot and then there's probably a metaphor there about, <laughs> about mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Been, but, there, been there <laughs> yeah but you know like she yeah this very it's a very hyper feminine um, world that she's been conditioned in and you know her mom is always like perfectly put together and that's part of the the brand because they're a brand as a family which again is so toxic and such a nightmare Um but you do keep coming back again and again in this film to, to that idea about blood. And, it's you know, you can only really think about it, not only think about it in that way, but it makes sense when you think about how old she is and what's going on in her life for it to be this metaphor for, you know, 
menstruation and change and becoming an adult and stuff. And I think about when she's um that fairy tale aspect I thought were really vivid when she's been a mum's made a practice and her hands bleeding and then she comes back and she's like stroking egg and her blood gets on shell Mm -hmm. and it's very like snow white you know dripping in snow isn't it and very um that image of you know the blood sort of it's very evocative i think i mean i always think blood particularly like women menstrual blood it's always very evocative in horror more Mm -hmm. menstrual blood everybody that's what we need (laughs) buckets of it um But yeah, and I I just, I did think that, you know, that very, even when, you know, she, Ali like eats uh, vomit, it is this, and obviously that's a very bird thing to do. I mean, that's very on brand for a bird to be eating puke, but um, it's, it's very, the fact that she feeds her from her own body. I'm sorry, I want that on the (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Very on brand for a bird to eat puke. (laughs) Keep your eyes peeled, folks. That might be next (laughs) next merch (laughs) but you know the fact that she sort of feeds her from her own body like a mother would like a mother bird like she would Mm -hmm. you know and and i think that is interesting it's like playing it like playing with a doll almost but it's a doll that's you know capable of swinging an axe and it's and yeah and i do Mm -hmm. think that uh, she especially when you sort of see at well i suppose we'll get to the end because i think it's a very interesting ending and I'd like to know what your thoughts are on it. But yeah, I do think you can see Reed Alley really easily as a metaphor for everything she fears, which is becoming angry, smelly teen <laughs> and a mum not accepting her. I mean, how would a mum react if she got acne or, you know, she were in a bad mood because she were on a period or, you know, there's no space in this life that they've built, that a mother's built for anything like that. Yeah, I think the ending was actually was a very uh, a clever and fun little twist on the ugly ducking story, you mm. know, that is supposed to, you know, turn into that beautiful swan. But in yeah. the end, she just, you know, she just, you know, all these left of her are those, you know, those angry, uh, uh, <laughs> slimy and bloody part. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, um, yeah, I, you know, in terms of, you know the way they ends. It's it's it, it, it was surprising because I genuinely thought he mm. was gonna, you know, resolve in a completely the opposite way. You know, kind of like we were gonna go back to the to, to the status quo um, mm. almost. Um, so so yeah, I, I did find it really um, really uh, powerful. Mm. No, I did as well, and I didn't think it was gonna end like that because it's it's very unfair, <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. To, you know, to um to Tinia because she um you know, she is the sacrifice. But I suppose in that way it is very true to rest at film because she has been yeah. a, a sacrifice for a, everything she does is a sacrifice for a mom. Exactly. Um, sacrifice sacrificial life. And this is very much I mean, it's also very true of what happens in toxic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. You like you just abandon uh, you know, a a, a, an, an entire side of you and you know that mm. innocent you know and uh, uh yeah naive side i suppose and that's yeah. as you said that's really unfair and that's really sad especially in a child it is uh, but i think she is again she's she's playing that role that women are conditioned to and it shows how early that conditioning starts which is to sacrifice to put everybody else first to to you know um put yourself in arms way if needs be and you know again she's like caught between a mother and a self, really, the the self that a mother will not accept, but that she can't 
see destroyed like she's been sort of destroyed you know her self-esteem's been destroyed and she can't see that happen to Ali and I think that's you know very symbolic and I think it's very sad um and the fact that a mum is like determined to kill this this horrible creature that looks like a daughter but her hair's falling out in clumps and she's you know um and and even when you know Tina's saying like don't don't because obviously they're linked so it's it's harming her mm-hmm. for for Ali to be harmed like she don't listen and again that just reiterates what she's like all the way through the film she don't listen she don't hear she don't see no um and and that is the the consequence of it and i i think if you read it in that way as like the death of you could read it i suppose as it's the death of the child as you've said sort yeah. of the death of innocence but i think as well i read it as that idea about the death of um, like what word am I looking for? <laughs> I read it as as like the death of being acceptable, the death of being passive, the death of mm. you know like putting up with mummy's shit, really. Because I don't get the vibe that Ali's gonna just suddenly put up with all the mum's you know crap. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that she's again, not part of the aesthetic <laughs> yeah you know like you said the status quo I don't I don't think will return but it's just it's a shame I mean I suppose it's I mean I'm getting probably too deep now and I'm reading too deep into it but it you can even sort of see it as that idea that is a sad idea when you are trying to come out of something like toxic which is that you you can't keep all the parts of yourself if you want to move forward You've got to, mm-hmm. part of you has got to die to be free of what you've been through. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, I might be reading too much into this and people might be like, what is she talking no. about? <laughs> <laughs> well, frankly, that if they think that, it's like the critics, they can yeah. just do one, okay? Yeah, don't listen then. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> no, we don't mean that. We don't no, mean don't. That. Listen, listen, please. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Um, but, but yeah, I do think that. And I think it is really symbolic as an ending and very sad. But again, it's like that, the, like a blood goes into... Tina's blood goes into Ali's mouth and then it's like the final stage of Ali's transformation. It's like the final, mm-hmm. I suppose, the final absorption of Tina. It's like the final phase of that and then she's what's left and she's angry and she's, you know, her hair's falling out and she's really fucking pissed off. And you're like, good, mm-hmm. this is what you deserve. But I did it's think... It's beautiful, it, yeah. It is, but I did think it were interesting because a mum sort of right at the end, she like sort of smiles a bit. I know, I mm-hmm. thought, and I was like, what's that? That I thought were interesting because I thought, well, what's... You know, I mean, what's to smile about? She might rip your head off your neck. I mean, you don't know which no, way this yeah. is going to But... I, I don't know. Yeah, I did, I did wonder about this mm. as well, the little, you know, the slight smile that she has. Is it that, you know, that she's successfully you know, manage to, I don't know, kill the child. You know? <laughs> I don't know if that was her goal yeah. all along, you know, but it's just, it's really, or, or is she actually, is it, you know, um, is she mirror, mirror, mirroring what, you know, what Tinia has become? Uh, you know, it's yeah. really, you know, if, if you read in that doppelganger um, sense, I just, uh, you know, I wonder if like, you know, if, um, um, Sorry, the, the the bird creature. I can I keep forgetting the name. Uh, <laughs> has kind of become you know a, you know a direct reflection of what the mum is really. You know so. Well, yeah, yeah, because um, she's ruthless. So maybe she thinks having a ruthless mm-hmm. child will be better in the long run exactly. because Tina is very sensitive. Is that her image? Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, she's very sensitive and very, although she's like very malleable, she is a very sensitive child. So maybe she thinks, mm-hmm. oh, well, this this one's not as sensitive and pretty ruthless. And maybe that means we can get where we need to get much quicker when I'm not having to think exactly. about, you know, Tina's feelings sort of thing. That <laughs> <laughs> might be it. Exactly. Together um, we can conquer the world. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is such a, a complex film and it does have that, the sort of symbolism of a fairy tale it is very symbolic. And I really like that about it. I think that really adds... It's a great subversion yeah. of the fairy tale, the end, you know, it, it, the, the whole story and the ending, I think, is, is, a, is a perfect, uh, yeah, perfect subversion of, um, of our expectations as an audience as well. Yeah, so, yeah. For that reason, 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10. Absolutely. Definitely um, one that's worth watching. And I didn't see that it necessarily got a massive release, I want to say. I don't remember seeing... I don't think it did. No. Yeah, and it's, it's one of them that could really easily go sort of under radar, uh, which is one of the reasons why we wanted exactly. to do it. So hopefully, yeah, 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 no, exactly. Like I said, you know, it's really, yeah, really glad you you, you brought this one um, up to my attention. And I really hope that people go and watch watch it because it's really, really worth it. And and, um, and definitely hope that uh, we'll see more of that director as well, because, mm. you know, visually, I think she's she's a, such an interesting, such an interesting director. So oh, I absolutely. I mean, absolutely fantastic style and, you know, um, vision and i would love to see more i'd love to see what she did next i think it would be incredible but thinking of films and other things <laughs> what uh, what other recommendation seamless that that was seamless clearly seamlessly went into that then raise a shot on my list <laughs> on my list of recommendation i've got i went from the obvious to uh, maybe not so obvious, but it definitely made me think of it. So in terms of the obvious one, The Hole in the Ground from mm. 2019, Viley Cronin, um, immediately the film. In terms of doppelganger aspect and changeling aspect, mm. it really made me, uh, I thought it was very reminiscing of it. The Fly in terms oh, of the body horror was... Yes, <laughs> yes. I immediately thought, as soon as I saw the, the slimy birdie creature, mm. I was kind of like, oh, you know what? Uh, the Fly deserves a rewatch. Uh, yes. I think, and um, and weirdly enough, I rewatched. Uh, I'm gonna find need to find the uh, the director's name right now, but May from 2002, um, directed by. Uh, give me a second. <laughs> uh, uh, directed by Lucky McKee. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, if you if you yeah if you've seen that one. I um, was which is obsessed with May. Um, absolutely obsessed loved it and i've not seen it in years since i were a teenager so i am definitely go and rewatch it is it yeah Yeah. i thought it was the perfect actually to be fair i think it was the the perfect companion piece to pearl Mm. which which we we talked about last time but um but in terms of you know the isolation and not fitting in and you know trying to try to be what everybody else expects you to Mm. be um and and, you know and obviously then you know if you can't find a friend make Make one one. yeah (laughs) oh yeah exactly I thought that was, um, yeah. that was quite good. Oh, what about you? What's, I loved what's, on, what's on your list? Um, well, it's interesting you mentioned The Fly, actually, because I saw that recently at cinema and it was amazing. Really good. Um, and I'm very pleased to oh. see we didn't have any crossover. I thought we might get some crossover here for Doppelgangers. Amazing. So um, I had, uh, when I said earlier about, you know, the link between the underworld and the upper world, so I had Us um, from yeah. John Peel, which obviously... 
is very much that idea about you know the tethered and and it's brilliant. If people aren't seen it, I mean, it's abs- uh, you know it's absolutely worth a watch. Absolutely fantastic, and really plays with that idea about the sort of mirror, the dark and the light half of you know. And but then it's again it subverts that um, in a really interesting way. Um, really, I also really had possession. Obviously, any excuse to get possession on this podcast. <laughs> Um, and if you've not seen it, definitely do. And again, I mean, for like icky, sticky body horror, you know, can't do much better. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the possession. Um, and then the last one I had were Black Swan, which I've not seen for a few years, but I did. I remember seeing it when it came out and I really, really liked it. Um, and I, I mean, I. That's a great one. I'm mad I didn't think about that. That's a great one. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I really <laughs> love. Yeah. But that that feeds in quite well with the hatching. I mean, it'd be a, a pretty good double bill, I suppose. This idea about like mm-hmm. obsession and, you know, uh, desire to be the best and, you know, like pushing yourself to the limit. And toxic um, mummy as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it would be uh, an excellent double bill, I think. Um, but yes, do we have anything else? Any final thoughts? Do you sure. think on the hatching, other than go out and watch it immediately? Go and watch it immediately. I would say would probably be uh, <laughs> my final thought for this one because <laughs> uh, yeah, again because it because it had such a small theatrical release, uh, and if you've missed it when he came out. Uh, and um, and yeah, you haven't even heard of it. Then, uh, like I said, Meg said at the beginning, is available on the BFI uh, player. And uh, yeah, so just run and, and and watch it now. Definitely worth a watch. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for listening to Monsters Flesh. Please join us next time for more discussion about women in horror. You can find out more about us via our website, www.monstersflesh.co.uk, where you can find out more about our research for each episode, buy our wonderful merch and see our upcoming events. Um, We would love to hear from you, either via our email or social media channels. And also, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and help us spread our spooky words by telling your friends about Monsters Flesh. And until next time, creep it weird, everyone. 